song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. Uh, and we are here with part two of our episode on the Four Horsewomen. But before we started, uh, you had promised the people, the the good people of the Sexy Wizard Army, the Patreons of HWTW, and your Twitter uh, feed, your followers, uh, that we would have a discussion, and maybe not a discussion, but a story of yours personally about the late George H.W. Bush, and uh, you wanted to start off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't want to uh, step on uh, women's wrestling by by discussing a crusty old man who had died. Uh, so I figured we'd get this out of the way early since I did promise it, and uh, I think you'll see especially why I didn't want to do it in the middle of the show uh, when, I, uh, when I get to the title here. So the title of this personal essay ripped from the pages of my real life. Uh, the title of this essay is George Bush has a penis. My parents were both tie-dyed in the wool Bay Area hippies. Both had turned 21 during the summer of love, attending the Monterey Pop Festival where Hendrix and the Who almost came to blows over who would close. And they had tickets to Altamont, which they decided to no-show after learning the Hells Angels would be in charge of policing the party. I'm one of the later production models of children produced by those coastal lefty original baby boomers raised intentionally by people who were trying so hard not to produce another sulky Gen Xer that they raised a millennial. What I'm trying to say with all this is that I was raised in a way that was simultaneously hand crocheted stuffed animal precious and death is probably the end, don't overthink it, practical. Looking back this blend of 60s optimism and witness the death of the 60s firsthand pragmatism was best embodied by the way my parents approached the topic of sex. My parents had seen the thick of it, and I'm sure it was thick in their own time, but they'd also lived long enough to see the rise of hepatitis among weekend IV drug users and watch friends and colleagues who'd moved to the area to live safely die of AIDS. In order to protect me from all these evils, there was a strict policy of medical frankness about sex from a very young age, like two and a half. For whatever reason, one of the main anchor points of this philosophy was the use of the term penis. As soon as I could speak, there was no euphemism or slang permitted for the discussion of the organ through which I went to the bathroom. The term penis was probably the first word I ever understood was important because it could be substituted for no other. How male is that? On the other hand, being an intellectually curious and on the low mischievous young lad, I also developed a certain fondness for the way the word penis sounded in the air. I mean, let's face it, it's kind of a funny word. It starts with P, which is simultaneously its own funny concept, and also, at least in my limited experience at the time, intrinsically connected to the penis. It's two bouncy, simplistic syllables that somehow sound like baby talk and the mumblings of a Russian physicist all at the same time. I became so fascinated with the word that I worked it into a little mantra cum vaudeville routine that I would repeat throughout the day. And here's where George Bush comes in. My little mantra cum vaudeville routine went like this. I would say, I've got a penis. And my mother would affirm, yes, that's right, you've got a penis. I would follow up, and daddy's got a penis? Just making sure you know. And my dear sweet mother would say, yes, that's right, daddy has a penis. Next up would be, and Joe has a penis? I was on a first name basis with my grandfather, but that's a whole other story. So then the only mother I will ever have would reply, yes, that's right, Joe has a penis. My next attempt would be, and mommy has a penis? I think this is what's called extending the hypothesis. My patient and wonderful mother would say, well, no. So attempting to regain ground, my next go-to was always, George Bush has a penis? And my mom would say, yes, George Bush has a penis. 
I'm not sure how he got there, and neither is my mother, I've asked. But George Bush's ownership of the same genitalia as I did was a cornerstone of my understanding of the world at age three. I suspect George Bush was just a name I heard an awful lot because my grandparents were local affiliate five times a day news watchers before the 24-hour cycle was even a thing. And I was probably tying concepts I knew from the world around me, like this word penis, to the people I could tell were real on the other side of the box. I'd never seen George Bush in the flesh, but I had a lot more evidence than he existed than, say, God, and it seemed reasonable based on his proximity and age and vague facial resemblance to my own grandfather, a confirmed penis owner, that we probably had something in common. So that's the story of how George Bush has a penis. But that's not even really the actual story, not the one I've placed my hand over my mother's mouth to prevent her from telling. This is that George Bush has a penis story. The whole penis mantra game was a blast. I mean, it has an undeniable rhythm, strong rhetorical use of repetition, and dares to discuss a subject that some find taboo. As I did more practice in the routine, I began to notice that it didn't play as well to audiences at, say, the grocery store as it did in the living room. People would look or giggle or, in that decidedly California way, make some time to tell my mother what a great or terrible job she was doing parenting, depending on their perspective. As such occurrences became more common, I realized the mantra was an effective way to get my mother's attention in public during times I felt I was being neglected. She would either duck down into the shopping cart and walk me through a little bit in a hushed whisper, or she would increase the pace of her errands with an eye toward removing me from the environment before things could escalate. One day, however, things got really bad at Nordstrom. I specifically remember my mother was returning an item that she had bought with a credit card. This was 1990-ish, and making a credit card return at a department store was a little more time-consuming than it is today for reasons that aren't important to this story. At any rate, I had mall fatigue and obviously felt my mother was giving the woman behind the counter, whose big, curly, red hair was a few years behind the style, uh, else she was giving her too much attention that rightly belonged to me. I began to feel anxious, and I used my best non-crying strategy to improve the situation. Because, to my mom's credit, the crying never worked. So I squeezed my mom's hand and I looked up at her as the clerk sat on hold with the credit card company. I've got a penis. I began with the big eyed deference of a Dickensian orphan. I think my mother might've rolled her eyes at me, which was a first. Daddy's got a penis. I continued in a whimper, desperate to get out of the bag store and back to the car. My mom said something like, not right now, honey. We'll be done here just a second. Joe's got a penis, I said quietly, but my mother didn't even look down. That was the final straw. Not only had my mother dragged me to the mall to make a return, she was refusing to engage in the standard PETA's procedure. This called for the big guns, the big presidential World War II fighter pilot hero guns. George Bush has a penis! I cried out for the whole second floor of Nordstrom to hear. So that's my loving tribute to our 41st president that I wanted to get out of the way before we, we got to the ladies. I will, uh, I will be posting that on Patreon tomorrow for those of you who like to digest things in text form or, or who want to share it with the masses. You know, if you really want to subtly send someone over to uh, patreon.com slash HWETW under the pretense that you're sharing something cool, I think this story would be a great way to do that. Yeah, uh, so now that we've uh, talked enough about George Bush's penis to fill a book, uh, we can talk about women's wrestling. That's um, we are going to start with what I found to be the first real. Uh, I mean, there are a bunch of matches between all of these performers uh, 
in different combinations uh, between Sashi, Charlotte, Be- uh, Becky, and Bailey. Um, but the uh, Fatal Four Way f- for the women's the NXT Women's Championship that's important uh, at the NXT Takeover Rival Show was the one I wanted to first start talking talking about because I think it's kind of like a, a good uh, first bookend. Uh, for the story we're going to kind of get a chance to tell today about what is literally like the evolution of women's wrestling uh, in the WWE. And I think of these performers, I think it's a nice, there's a nice parallel story going on between them. Yeah, I think that's right. And it also came at a really crucial moment in in the history of NXT and by extension, the WWE, because that NXT TakeOver Rival show uh, that was the show where where Owens beat Zayn and Balor beat Neville. And I think you had, while, you know, Neville and Zayn and Rusev had really kind of helped create the buzz to some degree down there, uh, this was really the changing of the guard into the crop of people who made NXT the show that people said was better than the main roster. This is when NXT absolutely caught fire, when you had Owens and Zayn, and then you had Balor and Owens after that. And I think the fact that that was the night that these four women really asserted themselves as a unit together, I think it's really fitting that they were really kind of defining what NXT was going to be for the next year or two after that. Yeah, and it's really incredible um, to see them so much younger. Uh, Like, we talked about this off mic, but the level to which uh, Charlotte looks like young KG just makes me laugh in terms of she's just so much bigger and more athletic than everybody, but she hasn't quite figured out everything to make her like the Charlotte we see now, the, that, that like queen, that champion of champions that Charlotte is. She's a great performer at this. She has potential to be a great performer at this point. It's not like she's bad in this match, but she's so young. It's kind of incredible to watch because the rest of them don't feel as like different from maybe Becky because she had different color hair. It's not bright orange, but red. But Charlotte in particular just feels like a a different version of an equally talented person. Yeah, that Charlotte that we saw in this match would not beat Ronda Rousey to tar with a with a cane. You know that 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 Charlotte would not do that. You can tell that even though she's playing an alpha and in the really excellent hype package that precedes the match on the show. If you go back and watch it, they show her talking about. Uh, using a natural selection and they emphasize that like the name of the finisher matches her like genetic superiority to them, which is like a heel act. But at the same time, when you watch her at that point in time, she really didn't have the nastiness to her work style. There's a physicality that she has really gained and a toughness that she's really honed uh, over the subsequent years that, that is reflected in her physical appearance as well. Like the way that she has gotten obviously very noticeably bigger and stronger just kind of mirrors her becoming a a more solid wrestler and not just a great athlete, but a great athlete who could also, you know, kind of sell the fundamental con of wrestling that it's a, that it's a fight. Yeah. She's everybody works great in this match, but you can kind of see uh, the reasons why, uh, how do I put this nicely? Becky is, was at the time considered the like lowest, of the four horsewomen, because I think that she's the one in the match where it's kind of, I don't want to say she doesn't feel like she belongs, but there is all, there is a noticeable difference, not just in terms, again, not the hair color isn't something you realize is going to make that big of a deal until you see it. 
because <laughs> she's bright orange hair now and it really helps her stand out because she's not we talked about this in the first part she's not the greatest wrestler she's a very good wrestler and she's uh she was not at the time but she's become a great talker she's kind of i don't want to say nondescript but she does not stand out in the way that the other three do in this match which is something that will change as we go along yeah i agree that she doesn't shine as brightly uh, in terms of star power when you watch this match but I think that she is deferential in a way that makes the match work. Like, I think she was definitely capable of more, but you can see her rating herself back in. Like, we talked about Christian recently on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. I think he's a similar person where when you saw him in matches, the more people that were in the match, the less he did. Like, even if he was the best worker, he was never the one who was getting in the moves. He was always taking the moves because he was just like a a smart, solid ring general who who knew that the match had to be held together. So I agreed. I noticed the same thing. Like she was doing a lot of moves that she doesn't do anymore in this match. And like I was saying, I think that when someone really pairs down what they do, that's showing that they, they really get it. But I think you still saw in this match her potential in a different way. It wasn't her moment to shine, but if you look at it through a different lens, I think she was maybe the star, the straw that stirred the drink in this match. Or maybe the ice cubes that made the drink more drink. Yeah, no, uh, she wasn't bad. Nobody in this match was bad, but it was out of the four, there's definitely, like, if you could only use this match as uh, an, a barometer of how far they were all going to go i think you would have her finishing last you wouldn't necessarily be like she's going to be a bust she's terrible but you look at her relative to charlotte like we just talked about or bailey who really starts to shed that um uh, this is the dirty word on the show but that mark character to a certain extent where she's no longer just happy to be there but she's starting to actually assert herself in a she's starting to actually act like she knows she's a shark in a shark tank yeah, I think that's perfectly embodied in the finish of the match itself. Bailey really, really digs down and fires up. She has the thing where she tightens her ponytail, but she isn't doing it in like a goofy way. There's like an urgency to it, and she's suddenly way more physical. And she like sprints across the ring to give Charlotte the Bailey to belly. She's not just like waiting for her. She does it like this is my moment. I'm actually gonna win the title. And like when she hooks Charlotte's leg, she wraps her free leg around Charlotte's other leg to pin her down, and it really, really looks like a convincing you know, pin for the finish. And then Sasha comes in and breaks it up and steals the win. And I think, as you said, I think that finish really kind of speaks to to where Bailey was going and her stepping up as that next top level baby face. Yeah, she, that um, was almost like the strap coming down in terms of the, the, the ponytail. It sounds silly, but it's, it's a really good visual way for the crowd to understand that things are about to get serious. Like it's the, uh, put your hair up and square up that Sonya Deville talks about where you're just like, no, I am completely, I have to like set up myself so I don't have to worry about stuff. Even as something as simple as like hair in my face, like I need to, it sounds kind of silly, but when you see it, it totally works because it comes off as this like, shit's about to get real and it does and i think and and with belly it's not just an assertiveness it's asserting it's not just her character being assertive this is going to sound very parsy douchey like but it's her asserting her character which is to say that she like establishes not she's not just showing the character itself like the internal struggle of the character, but the way the character feels about herself in the context of the other people in the match, she feels like she belongs in a way that 
she didn't up until that point. Yeah, definitely. Before that, she had been too nice to win. And this showed that while she was nice and lovable, she wasn't too nice to win, which was an important step for her character. Yeah, because baby faces are great. And this is something you run into a lot with anybody, any kind of character that the goal is to be good. Because good is a choice in the way that evil is something that can happen as a function of laziness or cruelty. Or hey, there's a bunch of different ways you can get to lazy. There's only a couple ways you can get to good. So for Bailey to be able to assert herself without cheating was a big deal. She was she was not just not cheating because in a fatal four way there's no disqualification, but she was actively like keeping uh, fighting fair, but she was still fighting tough. And that was a thing that we weren't sure if she was going to be able to do and she passed with flying colors. Like she really puts herself on a trajectory going forward after this match uh, with people like Sasha. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was really, and we alluded to it on, in part one of the, uh, of the episode. I mean, that was for me kind of the peak of NXT really when you got to, to Bailey and Sasha. I mean, the peak to date at least. And Sasha, I think who wins the match, I think it's kind of funny that we got to her last, does a great job of, of something we, uh, of basically contradicting something I said in the previous episode, which is that she does a really good job offensively. She looks like she can hang offensively with all of these performers who are bigger than her, especially Charlotte. Like, I really think you you both realize how much bigger Charlotte is than the other women in the Four Horsemen, and also how much bigger she's gotten. Like, physically, she's just so much bigger and stronger now. But then you really see how tiny Sasha is relative to Charlotte. Because Sasha's not... She is very slight relative to the rest of the the group. And it's really incredible to watch her throw herself around in the way that she does against... Uh, her opponents she's she's very kinetic her energy is very there's a lot of movement with her performance in a way that doesn't feel like she's uh, though we did talk about this also it has turned into babyface doing high spots but when she's a heel it's just high impact moves by somebody who shouldn't be able to have that high impact of an effect on their opponent. Oh yeah, definitely. I was I was just about to say that. But yeah, it speaks to what we said last time about her being the kind of old school, just really, really solid high flyer where their stuff doesn't look, you know, overly impressive or fancy, but the idea looks it looks effective. Like it looks like that's a good productive use of their body in a fight, even though like in no realistic scenario would that be a good use of your body in a fight. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there's no situation in a fight where you should try to elbow drop a motherfucker. Like, just don't. <laughs> you can elbow somebody, absolutely, but from the top rope, like your Macho Man Randy Savage, or do a frog splash the way that uh, that uh, Sasha does, and she's got developed more and more. And she's awesome in this match, though, and she deserves the win. She actually beats Charlotte, I believe, with a roll-up after having her in the bank statement which doesn't have a name and i always think that's funny is when they have finishers that are clearly defined finishers but it's the first time they've really had the opportunity to use it in a given match or in a big spot so they don't like name the finisher they're just like oh she has her in a cross face and it's like that's not a cross face it's the bank statement like how do you not know that you realize like oh i know that because i'm four i'm three years in the future And I think because of all that, because you get to see, uh, though again, it, Becky is the least like she'll end up being, but you get to see the str- a lot of the strengths of all four 
women in this match. I think that's why, to me, it's an essential viewing. It's kind of like watching an early movie, like The Outsiders or something like that, where you watch it and you're like, oh, there's a bunch of stars in this that ended up being like just enormous, like industry changing kind of figures and and to watch this match to especially watch the the chain see young charlotte in particular like even if it's just that it would be worth it but i i think this match is a really great primer for what you're going to see going forward from these four yeah definitely i compared them to like a draft class in the previous episode and i think to extend that analogy uh maybe beyond the point of usefulness as everybody knows i love to do uh, i think that this was like that summer league game where like in the nba you know the summer league doesn't have much juice but when someone's gotten that really good draft pick uh that people either are really confident or aren't sure about or if they've gotten a couple of draft picks like if a team of a team's got a really young core that's coming together for the first time like people will actually come out for that summer league game and they'll actually put it on national tv because it's of interest like this had that feeling like this is the coming out party for this draft class here they all are and they're really really showing what they're capable of doing yeah and and i don't think it's it's not like a mind-blowing piece of art but it's it's very good um but the next one i think is a mind-blowing piece of art and it's one of the two matches on this list that i was at live uh this match of course i'm talking about and it's something we've we've kind of hinted at kind of talked about obliquely which is the bailey versus sasha at nxt takeover brooklyn which i mentioned uh i have been to two takeovers and only remember one um the second one was my bachelor party and i don't really remember what happened during the show to this day but i was stone cold sober watching this shit and uh it's about as close as i've ever come to crying from like an emotional release at a wrestling like when i was physically at a wrestling show like it was it is the most cathartic match i've ever seen um because bailey spoiler alert bailey wins in a, just an incredible match um and she almost dies about a minute before the finish she's <laughs> yeah the, there's a lot of moments in this where you're like just it reminds me a lot uh, in a weird way of the uh, wrestlemania 25 match between uh sean michaels and the undertaker where it's just like this epic thing that you're kind of like you're not you know the ending but you don't it's one of the best lose yourself in the moment matches i can ever remember and it wasn't just because i was there there was there was really like watching on watching it again on television it's really a roller coaster where you are not sure if they're actually going to pull the trigger on bailey because sasha is such a star that it, it really feels like you don't know and then she does it and it's just this moment of release that i, I can't i was in that arena like you hear the term like blew the roof off the that's what it felt like it was this rush of like air that came out it was incredible no it, it's incredible and, and one of the reasons i you know i always think of her as being a truly great baby face and like i, I don't mean that in like a limiting way I, I think that she is in some ways like a once in a generation talent is just like the going into the finish so there's there's the bit where like i said she goes for the frankensteiner and there's like the block of it that doesn't really like go right she almost lands on her fucking head uh and it's like terrifying but then they reset and she hits the like much more complex top rope Frankensteiner spot. And she just turns to the camera and just like 
and just fires up and like clenches her fists and like pumps her arms and screams. And I think, see, I was, I was crossing this up at the finish of the other match. This is the one where she sprints across the ring. Like she runs like four steps up to Sasha to grab her and give her the Bailey to Bailey and or the belly, Bailey to Bailey and, uh, and go home with the win. It's, it's incredible. Like the moment is so real for her. And like, even through the TV that you can feel it that like, even if the whole match to that point was choreographed and it was something that two friends had spent hours in rental cars and hotel rooms going over with each other, like even if it was all that, the last 10 seconds of that match was real. When she hit the move and she said, this is it, this is where I win the title, this is it. The end of that match is fucking real. And in a way that you feel every single time you watch it, not just the first time. I watched it just the other day in preparation for doing this. And I agree with you. I started to like get misty because it's such a real, such a highly energized, just electric, truly electric. You can feel energy buzzing off of it moment. And what's crazy is that did not main event the pay-per-view. Like I remember that and and god bless finn and kevin owens they did a great job in the ladder match but nobody gave a shit we were all just like completely done emotionally like i i remember that just like just being like how is this not the last match like because i went with andy a friend of the show uh andy miller and we were just like, how the fuck is, how we were, when the, the music hit, when I think it's Bailey comes out first and Bailey's music hits, we were both just like, how the fuck is this not the main event? After Bailey's music hit the second time and the fucking four horsewomen come out and do the four horsewomen thing is just like, how on earth are you supposed to follow this? This is like, like rock Hogan level shit man like that i know obviously like that that's big praise but like in a in an arena show that was as close as you're gonna get they i mean that place was like mind was blown that is the loudest i've ever heard i went to wrestlemania 29 and it wasn't and obviously it's a stadium so it's a little different but it just wasn't as loud as sasha and bailey like that match emotionally is fantastic and in terms of a te- the technical aspects of it it's also a really well constructed match outside of a couple of like i don't want to say understandable but like there's very few botches there are a couple of scary moments where like something goes wrong but and and you're afraid somebody's hurt but there's very few like oh they did a move in the monkey flip screwed up kind of situation it's like a very well executed very well constructed match that's also has the emotional resonance of something like a once again a once in a generation emotional resonance yeah and i think the thing that makes it so great is like they're both really well-defined characters and they both do what the characters do like you mentioned earlier uh you were talking about uh, Sh- uh sasha doing the frog splash and like I've, I've heard her interviewed by steve austin and when she talks about eddie guerrero she like says that you know what she loved about Eddie and what she sees when she watches tape of Eddie is like how miserable Eddie looks that like he's coming down the ramp. He's like casting his eyes downward. He doesn't make eye contact with any of the fans. Like the whole match, he just looks like he would much rather be anywhere else. And and she doesn't do that because like as the boss, she like owns the room. She's there, but she has this incredible miserableness to her in this match, which is just so, so good. Like, 
every time she gets the bank statement, which by now is called the bank statement, <laughs> two however many months later after the last show. But like every time she gets the bank statement, she's like really wrenching and she's stomping on Bailey's injured hand. The spot where she puts Bailey's hand in the steps and drop kicks the steps, I think it is, which like they give they give cam they give like three different camera angles in them and all of them it at least looks like her fingers were crushed like it's a devastating looking spot that's like mind blowing that they pulled it off safely but uh but like she is so miserable and so mean in this match and Bailey to her credit though isn't just the like sympathetic wimp like I said she is just so incredibly like Ricky Steamboat, Ricky Morton fired up in this match. Like, you know, that she, she gets beat up, but she doesn't quit and she keeps coming back for more. And eventually she gets to the point where she just like breaks and can take no more. And it's not that she like has suddenly powered up like Hulk Hogan, just because it's like this heightened state that she's gotten to because she's put up with enough and she's given all that she can, but she spiritually, emotionally as a human being just can't like lose in this moment. So she gets to this other level to settle this personal issue and win the match. It's just like really, really beautiful storytelling. And like you said, the work is good, but it's also not a match that's about the moves necessarily. Like I said, that Top rope reverse Frankensteiner she does at the end is incredible. She does her little pendulum elbow drop in the corner and she usually kind of flubs that spot now uh, for whatever reason. Maybe things are a little different when the ring on the main roster versus NXT. But she does that like corner elbow drop where she bounces off the low ropes and turns in the air. And just like all the spots are perfect. She hits just nice crisp baby face spots where there's some flight and some speed behind them to get people into it. And just like I said, Sasha is just a nasty grinder. And if she's flying, she's using her body as a weapon. But it's mostly just her like on the mat, really punishing Bailey and really being mean to her. It's about the work fitting the characters, fitting the storyline with the title as the thing that tells you, you know, that you really need to pay attention. It's just perfect, simple pro wrestling cookery. It's like a recipe. It all works. It's perfect. It's a perfect match. It's probably the best match in the WWE in the 21st century so far. In fact, I'll say it. I think that's the best match that's taken place in the WWE this century so far in terms of like emotional resonance, connecting with the crowd, being a satisfying pro wrestling story, etc. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Um, I, this is the quintessential essential viewing as far as like if you want to understand modern wrestling, you have to watch this match. Period. It is the most important match of, I'll say, the last, like you said, maybe the last 20 years. Like, it is the defining match of our generation. And if you aren't, you haven't seen it, you don't understand why wrestling is where it is right now. Why NXT has the cachet it does. Why Bailey and Sasha are so important. Why the women's evolution is so important. Because the other thing is the crowd wanted this to main event and they wanted Bailey to win and it's it's weird to say but this was at a time where we were just getting past the idea of like a wrestler has to be hot for you to like her like it was real or it'd be framed that way like if you were a heel you were ugly and if you were a baby face you were beautiful and that was it that was your defining characteristic as a person and and this was like the first time that people who actually wanted to see a quality in wrestling were getting something close to it. They could actually, like, sense it. It's not a coincidence that the next uh, takeover is the one that Bailey and Sasha finally made a bet. Like, it, this is the thing that pushes women's wrestling in the WWF 
sorry, <clears throat> women's wrestling, the WWE and NXT to the forefront where it's now an equal part of wrestling WWE wrestling and not just the Divas division in a sideshow. Yeah, definitely. And I think starting here, as you say, this is the point at which I think the women's division became the biggest point of growth for the company. Like a lot of stuff has stagnated, but from this point forward, you have to say that the, the women's stuff has has been on a, a strong upward trajectory. I know some people who are who are purists about it think maybe it slowed down over the last couple of months for for this reason or that, but but this is definitely kind of the starting point where the women's stuff became the like I said at the end of the last show, really the the best and most interesting and most important stuff to be watching in the WWE. This isn't the only good NXT women's match. There's a ton, but this is this is very much the definitive uh, one of the era. You see, like the Charlotte Becky Sasha Triple Threat match at WrestleMania 32, which is not a great WrestleMania. It's I wouldn't even say good WrestleMania, but this is a great match and it is clearly the best match on this card. And I don't think it's close. And I think it also establishes, uh, it's a, it's a continuation and an evolution. Uh, we're going to keep using that word, but I think it's apt of the Sasha Charlotte and Becky dynamic where there's this idea that Sasha is not a heel relative to Charlotte, but relative to Becky she is, and Becky is kind of starting to develop herself as uh, a standalone character. Her character's really starting to come into its own, and Charlotte's just Charlotte. Charlotte's, like, really starting to become full-blown Charlotte Flair, seven-time women's champion, the the definitive wrestler of her, the definitive performer of her era, maybe on both sides, definitely on the women's side. Like, this is where you really start to see it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that they they kind of tried to draw extra attention to that by this was the match where they transitioned from it being the Divas Championship to the Women's Championship. Mm-hmm. And I think that they they picked three characters or three wrestlers who who really embodied that. You know what I mean? The idea of it of it like Charlotte is the classic wrestling champion with like the size and the pedigree and Sasha Banks is kind of the classic wrestling heel, you know, like I said, you know, using their body as a weapon or uh, using the the rules or or the lack of rules in wrestling to their advantage. And then on the other hand, that match, like you you have, you know, Becky Lynch, who who we've been saying throughout, she's just kind of like the more solid overall complete package you ties everything together without being super spectacular but i think they chose three people in this match who really really represented women's wrestling but like it's a shame that bailey wasn't there you know after having participated in the the nxt match that, that kind of caused all of this to happen but at the same time it makes sense because like we said before like she plays a character who's kind of a mark like it's the women's title and there's something kind of young about her character and i think with the three people they chose in this match they kind of got down to like this is it this is real serious women's wrestling this isn't diva's sports entertainment anymore not that not that bailey is a diva sports entertainer like i said these three characters all had a very hard adult traditional wrestling edge yeah there's no um like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe. There's no infantilizing or cartoonizing of the women's division at this point. There's, there's, it's not as fantastical as as it was. There, there's, there's, they're treated as real human beings with real motivations, and it isn't just like I hate this girl because she like 
we used to be best friends and now we're not. And though they do have that, I, I think the main the main women's storyline in the WWE for the last twenty years. But I think that it, it is now reached the uh, this is going to sound weird the normal level of like men's idiocy where it used to be like you knew the second two women became friends something like a title or a man was going to come between them that they literally couldn't like that that wrestling would have never passed the Bechdel test and I think that now it this is when you first start to see them like yes they have the same storylines as the men and yes those are always like friends breaking up but it's it's not like over petty bullshit and what it is it's as dumb petty bullshit as the men do it's not like you stole my boyfriend it's like you cheated and I don't trust you anymore. Like there's actual character development and it's not just how can we have these two people interact for a split second and then break up. And then we hope one of them catches on with the fans. Like there's an actual idea. There's an actual story. There's actual character development. There's actual movement. There's narrative momentum. There's a real establishment of a divisional narrative and then the narratives of all of both in an overarching sense and then the individual narratives of the competitors within that division also had value yeah 100 that's a that's a more elegant way of saying what i was trying to say i think they did a great job redefining the uh the the the, the genre even here i mean the division but really writ large they were they were redefining what to expect when it comes to the women's title matches on the pay-per-views because, I mean, as much as there has been this groundswell in NXT, the main roster was, you know, 18 months behind in terms of the the, the way things were being presented, really. Uh, in terms of being an essential, I think this is, again, like the uh, the, the Razor Ramon uh, match from last time when we were talking the Survivor Series. I think this is the least essential of the matches to watch, but I think it's an important way to understand the tra- transition from... How Sasha versus Charlotte versus Bailey versus Becky at NXT TakeOver Rival became what happens at Evolution that night. And I, I think this is an important one to understand. It's kind of like if you hadn't watched a show for a couple of seasons and they do like an episode re- like a, an episode that's a reset or a reestablishment of all of the norms of the show that you're used to. Like this is kind of this is what the show is now. Uh, in in a way that like is very helpful if you want to understand the evolution of it is important to understand the evolution of the the four horsewomen kind of to understand the evolution of the women's evolution in WWE and I think overall is not a particularly important match for understanding like where we are now in the way that Bailey and Sasha is but it's a good enough match it's definitely definitely worth checking out but I think if you were to skip one this would be the one that I would personally skip. Yeah, I would say that four-way match we talked about earlier transcends the problem of the three- and four-way match in a way that this match doesn't. It's a really good triple-threat match in the middle of a WrestleMania card, but it's a triple-threat match in the middle of a WrestleMania card. And if you've been watching between, you know, 99 and now, you know what those look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, definitely watch it, but you don't have to. If you you are in time, constrained by time, definitely uh, go on to the next one, this next match, which is the uh, first women's main event on the main roster. Uh, for a pay-per-view because Sasha and Bailey had done it previously, like I said, at one of the NXT takeovers, the one after Brooklyn. It is the it is a Hell in a Cell match 
at the 2016 Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Uh, it is for the Raw Women's Championship. And I think it is it is Charlotte really coming into her own as a monster heel that needs to be stopped. It's She's a bad person in this match in a way that really shines, which sounds terrible, but she's really confident in her greatness at this point and it's cool to watch i I think this is a pretty good sasha match i think this is a great charlotte match yeah i said earlier that you know the the uh the charlotte and nxt takeover rival would never beat up the ronda rousey with the cane the way she did and this is the emergence of the charlotte who would beat up ronda rousey with the cane the way she did as you said this is really her coming out party as as someone who's a a physical dominant main event style wrestler like not someone who's you know, just like happy to be there on the card or happy to have the good match. Like this is really her acting like someone who's trying to be a draw and like an old, once again, an old school traditional wrestling way, you can see the seriousness with which she carries the task at hand. And the same is true of Sasha in the match. In fact, if there's anything, if there's, if there's something you can say about this match, it's that maybe there's a little try hardness in it that they're like, they tried to do too much in you know, as the women's main event on the main roster in the Hell in a Cell, like it feels like there was almost, I don't want to say pressure on them to do too much, but that that they wanted to make it really great. And I think that like there's, um, there, there's the Sasha not breaking the table, which looks like incredibly painful, but like maybe when she bounced right off at the first time, maybe you don't try to do it two more times. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was a little kind of try hardness in the match that, that I don't want to say took away from things but it was like they you could really see that they appreciated the moment and and that they they wanted to get it perfect in a way that that can never be your expectation of a pro wrestling match but as you say the emergence of charlotte as the dominant charlotte yeah it's 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 a lot of fun moves quickly it uh tells a great story but like you said yeah the there's certain things in the way that you don't have with the bailey and sasha there are actual botches in this match there are things that go actually wrong in this match that don't look great um I'm climbing the cage nick when they climb the cage the footholds the ports that were cut into the cage i remember watching this the first time live and being so taken out of the moment by the foot and hand holes that they had cut in the side of the cage in particular places for them to climb sorry i just remember that one thing in the match it was so Oh no, and and it's it's more obvious because like <laughs> they have to stop doing. That. I they have to figure out a better way to deal with the fact that it's hard to climb. It's not hard to climb. Has nobody in the WWE ever gotten a ball from over the fucking fence before? I don't think it's necessarily hard to climb. I think it's actually hard to stay on without the footholds, and they do so much stuff up top that it kind of gives away the the show though it's kind of like you might as well just put wires on them guys like maybe just don't do shit that high up like where you are which i guess shane mcmahon can come out once or twice a year and set a precedent that everybody else has to follow sorry i had to get that one in there (laughs) and i think but you know what it reminds me of in in a weird way this match um is like a we talk about a coming out party for charlotte she reminds me a lot of batista in this match where she's just a fucking monster and she's just out to destroy in a way that, like, but is also a character that's playing up. It's it's a step above the Braun Strowman, I'm not finished with you thing. Like, Braun Strowman is a smart monster. Uh, people like Charlotte 
and Batista like transcend that monsterness to become an even scarier version of a monster. They're like a super intelligent super mutant where you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. Like you, there's no cognitive deficiencies. You're just going to hurt me as bad as you possibly can and enjoy the shit out of it. Yeah, it's almost like the same person might have been giving them advice during the ascendancy of their main event pushes. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think it was bad. I think it worked out perfectly. This person might be like one of the best and smartest wrestlers of all time. So Maybe. it's not a problem that I'm describing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I think this is, to understand Charlotte, you have to watch this match. Uh, because she just goes, she's literally like, she beats the shit out of Charlotte, uh, Sasha to start. And then singing the na 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 hey 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 goodbye song as she's leaving, and they're in Boston, so there's this like extra layer of shittiness to it. It's it's a tour de force heel performance, and I think and I think Sasha acquits herself very well. But if you're looking for like a great back and forth match, I don't know if this quite gets there. But it's definitely a great Charlotte match. Like it is worth watching for Charlotte just beating the shit out of Sasha. Yeah, and that finish is old school heat too. It's like something that like Dusty Rhodes or Kevin Sullivan or uh, like the Grams would book where it, it, you know, it's the the heel really gets over strong and there's no bones about them being the, the physical dominant force. And if the audience is pissed off because, you know, the person lost in their hometown, like not just too bad, but like that, that good, you know, fuck them. Good. <laughs> it's got, it's got that old school wrestling thing to it. And once again, I, I, I talked about this uh, once or twice in the last episode and earlier in this episode with Becky Lynch, that one of the things that's special about the horsewomen, I think is there is this old school wrestling psychology among them. And you really could once again, see it in Sasha in this match. They're like, this is Charlotte's match. And like when she's, when Sasha's not going through the table, you can like see her frustration that she like wants to do this for the match and stuff. And, and you compared, uh, you compared she and Bailey to like, uh, Arn and Tully. And I think that is like a very much like an Arn Anderson, a Tully Blanchard, like a for the match old school wrestler psychology. So that's another thing that I really appreciated about this match. Cause it's like over the last 20, 25 years in wrestling, like, how many times have we gone out there like when someone was going to do, you know, a 70-30 main event? Like, you know, how many people are really enthusiastic about taking the 70 and making sure that that part of the match is really good? Because, I mean, you, I mean, we've watched a lot of when we think back to some of those like 2007-2008 pay-per-views that we were watching. You know, there was a lot of 70-30 matches where the guy who was taking the 70% either didn't have the ability to do good or didn't have the interest in, in doing good. And so the Therefore, the 70-30 match is boring in that context. But when you have someone who's there to take the 70, who wants to do the best fucking job possible taking the 70, you know, that's when you can have something that's a quote-unquote squash or not a highly competitive match, but still really great and really memorable and really effective for the champion moving forward. Yeah, it's it's a good match. It's definitely the best match on this pay-per-view. Uh, though it's actually, if I remember correctly, pretty good pay-per-view. But I would definitely recommend this uh yeah, so uh, the, the next two matches, and the, these are the last two, and I think they're the most uh, the 
the most important for understanding where we are now, and it's obvious because they're at Evolution, they're the most recent important show that the the company has had. I don't care what you say about Survivor Series. <laughs> the first one is uh, Sasha, Bailey, and Natalia versus the Riot Squad, which is the only match we're going to talk about that doesn't include only four horse, only the four horsewomen. And I think it's because it's a really great example of um, what we talked about. We've been talking about this entire time, uh, or we've brought up a couple. I should say, uh, well, we've brought up a couple times now. Uh, the Arn and Tullyness of Sasha and Bailey, uh, especially with Natalia working against the Riot Squad, who I, for me, I think Ruby Riot is the best uh, young, relatively the new, the best fresh new women's talent that they've had since this massive overturn of the roster. Like I like Sonya Deville. I actually really like Mandy Rose, but I think in particular Ruby Riot has the potential to be like a multi-time world champion. And I think that the Riot Squad is a good vehicle for her in terms of the other, especially for the other two in terms of their development as well. But this match in particular, it was a match that was okay. Cause I was at evolution again with Andy Miller. Um, and we enjoyed this match. And I remember distinctly watching it the next day and just being like, Holy shit. This was a really well-paced, well-constructed, well-executed, old-school, six-woman tag match. Like, this is a really well-done version of this thing. And I think, just from that perspective, it's a really important match to watch. But just for, uh, but from the larger perspective, like, this is a match that will make someone like Ruby Riot into a bigger star while not having Sasha or Bailey lose any of their momentum. And Natalia looking good. Like, everybody looked great in this match. And I think it's an example of what we've been talking about the entire past two episodes, which is that there's this willing to willingness to sacrifice for the betterment of the industry of the division that you see in this match, especially. Yeah. So the, the word that you mentioned there that, that I also wrote down in my notes when I watched this match was pace. I thought the pacing of this match was so crisp and like such a great example, just of the modern style, like regardless of gender, like if you wanted to show someone or someone asked what, does a typical WWE wrestling match look like in 2018, like a good one? I think you would maybe show them this match. Like it's a real, it's a really good example style. Um, but the other thing that struck me, both in terms of the pacing, it, it really reminded me of the Survivor Series match that we watched the other week, the one with all those great tag teams from the kind of late 80s era where you had the Bulldogs and the Hearts, Demolition, Killer Bees, Rougeaus, et cetera, et cetera. It reminded me of a lot of, of that style of match where you had a really good blend of young up-and-coming talent and people who were experienced. Like, no one is so green that they can't work, but there's still a whole spectrum of experience levels match, and that really comes across, and that just really makes something that is just really tight, really good, just really fundamentally sound, as Jim Ross would say. Yeah, and I think it's also, uh, and though it is a six-woman tag team match, it also shows why it'd be really great if the WWE could get off their asses and make a goddamn tag team division for the tag team belts for the women, and have it travel on both shows, I'm fine if you don't feel comfortable having two separate titles, considering that the women's roster is smaller than the men's, but like, there is great there are great stories to be told that have never been told from a camaraderie standpoint, from a team standpoint, and also just in ring, you don't get to see basically what are essentially cruiserweight tag teams that much. These are essentially cruiserweight tag teams that that are doing exciting shit that I want to see man, woman, alien, anything. Like, it doesn't, I want good tag team, and you have a fresh 
crop of people that you can mine you can harvest for stories for lack of a better term like there is so much that can be done with a women's tag team division that they're not doing and matches like this okay again it's a six you could even do a six woman tag team like a six woman tag team championship and that would be fine so you have some sort of traveling team like a Freebirds that goes not a Freebirds, but like a team that travels from show to show that makes a little bit more sense and they're just the title holders i just think that there's this is the example for me of like why we need to have a women's tag team title even if it wasn't necessarily a traditional tag team match yeah i couldn't agree more i think i think it's like it's, it's not just time in terms of progress and in terms of the gains the WWE has made in promoting the women and finding really, really excellent women's talent across the world. It, it's not just because it's the next logical step. It's because it's like, I don't know, when you see the Mae Young Classic, you're like, man, there's got to be something that all these people could be doing, whether it floated between Raw and SmackDown, whether you're like maybe maybe expanding 205 live and that the name changes and becomes half cruiserweights and half the women's tags or something like that. You know what I mean? Like the, there's so much talent. And when you watch the May young classic, which I did very closely each of the last two years, you, you just realize that like, yeah, like you said, there's, there's so many workers out there and so many styles that it, it's like shame on them for not getting more of these people on TV in logical ways and a women's tag team title would be a very simple simple logical fan and talent friendly way to do that yeah and and in terms of essential feeling i think this is the most this is weirdly the least consequential but the the match i think that would is the most fun to watch it's very there's there's not that much emotional resonance per se but it's a fast-paced fun match with characters you care about that's just it's just a blast to watch like i Again, watching this live, it wasn't any great shakes, but it was enjoyable. Watching it on the network was really like a, a, a like a sea change for me in terms of how I felt about this match. And honestly, the development of the Riot Squad. I think that they are an underrated part of the future of women's wrestling. Especially, again, I cannot praise Ruby Riot high enough. I think she is an elite, top-of-the-card talent. I think she's good on the mic. I think she's a great capital G great worker and I, I really loved I love this match it's one of my favorite matches of the year I would definitely check it out it is the least consequential but I think the most worth watching to be completely honest out of everything we've talked about so far yeah when you say it's inconsequential but really worth watching what it really reminds me of is like a great house show match yes like a, a match that you would go and there's people that you're excited to see and they have time no one's rushing them they're like gonna get every bit of their 15 minutes you know what i mean like it, it just feels like a a good match that time to breathe where it doesn't have that maybe trying too hard quality that we were talking about in the the hell in a cell match previously you know what i mean just like a nice easy match that a bunch of really good wrestlers are having and sometimes you know, everything is uh, very richly booked is the, the word that I'll use. Everything's very richly booked in 2018. And like sometimes when you just have a good wrestling match without a lot of bells and whistles, that's really simple and nobody's out there trying to do anything too specific to serve an angle. They're just trying to have a great match. You know what I mean? It, a lot's possible. Yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, the, the last match we're going to talk about, which is the complete opposite, which is uh, Becky versus Charlotte in a last woman standing, standing match for the women's SmackDown championship. Uh, holy shit, this match. And holy shit, 
Becky Lynch. Like, Becky Lynch had turned herself into a star at this point. This match, and actually what happened with Nia, really is what put her in the, like, oh, so she's Stone Cold now level that we talked about last episode. This, watching the Becky Becky from the first of the matches we talked about to now, this match is just mind-blowing in terms of the difference in the character. She's so self-actualized when she's out there now. And her and Charlotte are... I'd I'd watch a hundred matches with those two. They can just go and go and go. They know each other so well. There's a real sense of, like although the characters don't, of respect for the talents of the other, and they're willing to push the boundaries of what's possible. They're old. All of these 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 women are old school, like, get in there, get the heat, do all the shit. But these two in particular, I think, are really, and we, we mentioned this in passing, they are the rock in Austin of their generation. Like, they are that level of special. And this is, and, and you might want to say Sasha's like Triple H, uh, you know, mix the metaphors around however you want. But this is like one of those matches where you're like, oh, when we look back at the documentary on the on the Four Horsewomen, this is going to be the match that everybody's like, I'm so excited that's on the, if in a pre-network world would be i'm so excited this is on the dvd like this match is fucking awesome it lives up to every expectation and it turns two people into just like it brings charlotte up a slightly higher level and it just pushes becky into the absolute stratosphere oh yeah if you were making a a movie a dramatic movie a scripted uh, a scripted theatrical drama uh, as you might say in wwe's but if you were writing a movie about the story of the ascent of the four horsewomen, like this is the end of the movie. Like this match is your last scene. It's brightly lit. The crowd's going nuts. You know what I mean? Like this, if you're telling a story, if you're creating a movie of the, the ascendancy of women's wrestling in the WWE from the beginnings to like, this is the great point. This is where you end that first movie. It really is both that kind of quote-unquote moment and that kind of match. Yeah, it's a great match, and it's filled with great moments. And that's kind of a much more eloquent version of what I was saying, is that there are special moments in this match, and the overall, all of these matches are good. This, I think, is the best match in terms of the bells and whistles, having bells and whistles and not making them overshadow what you're actually doing that i've seen in a long time like i I think this is this isn't bailey and sasha is a historically important and great match i think this is the only one that's even in the like same league as that one i think it's below it in terms of like gravitas but i think in terms of like actual execute if you were to rate it on its execution of its ideas and its goals it is as close as you can get to a bailey sasha match which was pretty much a perfect match this is like a almost perfect match that doesn't quite have the emotional resonance i don't think because it's not like a year in it it's a much more truncated build-up but i think it's definitely like at that level it is and the other essential you have to watch this to understand modern wrestling match out of the ones we've talked about so far today yeah you know i don't want to uh, shoot too many errors at this straw man because i certainly spent a lot of time uh, on it last episode but i think comparing this match directly to the uh the the sasha banks bailey match from takeover brooklyn kind of just kind of shows you the the differences between the nxt philosophy and the main roster philosophy 
And I think in both cases, as you say, they produced great kind of near perfect in their own way matches. But I think in NXT, you the the Bailey Sasha match, you you have I think more emotional resonance because, like I said, the characters were coming from very clear places. Whereas with the Charlotte uh, Becky problem, you have the Charlotte Becky problem. <laughs> you know the the whole kind of post Roman Reigns issue of of being told to cheer a certain direction at first and not liking it and creative trying to adjust to that and maybe trying to pull you back the other way or trying to go with you. And that's not cool either. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that match, the evolution match, as I think it is, as you say, every bit, the technical match may be better in terms of, you know, achieving more ambitious, big stuff and kind of going places that, you know, a women's match hadn't gone before. But at the same time, I think it's it's it lacks that big emotional pop. Like I was talking about, the last five seconds of the Bailey match is so real, and like the the Becky powerbombing Charlotte through the table is an incredible finish. And I'm so glad it's the finish. I'm glad they didn't stand up and do anything else after that. Uh, I thought that that was an incredible finish, but it just didn't have that emotional resonance because of that just main roster issue of people just have so much trouble connecting with the characters. It feels as though, on a certain level, especially watching it again, the first time you watch it, you really don't know what's going to happen. And I, this is another match. I was for these two matches, I was there live. This match wasn't anywhere near Sasha and Bailey because you kind of knew that. How, how if Bailey or Sasha would have won, I think the crowd would have thought that either one deserved it, but they sincerely wanted Bailey to win. I think there was a fear that Charlotte was going to win and that she quote unquote didn't deserve it, which is bullshit. Charlotte's fucking great. Anybody thinks otherwise can kiss my ass. But I understand why Becky needs to win this, why Becky is the person to win this match, and that it would be a bad decision in terms of, like, it, it would not be as good a decision as Becky winning. Like, I understand that. I don't think it's a... Oh, this, was, this was the last chance to give Becky the big win. If, if she had not won that match... The, they could have tried to continue the angle, but pe- Becky still wouldn't have had the juice. Yeah, exactly. It, it would Yeah, it's exactly what I mean. It's like there was a real, like, we have to do it now, so we're going to do it. And I, I think that for, um, for that, it did change the tenor of how we all approach the match. But like you said, in terms of a technical match, in terms of hitting all the spots, doing all the things you're supposed to, of structuring a match in a narrative in a way that like builds tension and has you feeling certain ways. And like you said, actually ending on the spot you're supposed to fucking end on and not like having her be a zombie really did. They did the right thing for the long-term story of the four horsewomen of Becky of Charlotte of on some level, Sasha and Bailey, but they didn't, and this is something we talked about during the Survivor Series episode, they had to sacrifice some of that, like, that emotional resonance in order to continue the narrative going forward. Like, there could, I think a more, like, emotionally, not cathartic, but powerful finish would have been, like, Charlotte going back full Charlotte and, like, Ric Flair getting involved and just being, like, a monster person. And they didn't do that. I'm so glad no men were involved after the James Ellen oh, um, yeah. thing. I never again should uh, a a women's milestone match be won by a man. It's Ronnie Garvin and Drag. It's Miss Atlanta Lively. I'm all about Yeah, it. and I think that there's a real, like, 
we all had to accept in that moment that oh they're actually going with becky i think that was the other thing is we all were like dogs chasing cars and the car stopped short and we all just went right into the back of a back of bumper and i i think that's what happened in terms of the crowd the crowd was excited but there was this idea of like oh my god they're actually going to do it holy shit this is awesome where with like bailey winning it was like we're just so happy this happened does that make sense it makes sense, and I think it speaks to two different scenarios, both of which are profitable on some level. But one of this is this is a uh, I don't know if he still bangs this drum, but this is an old school Wade Keller dichotomy here. I would say that one of those is presenting wrestling versus something that's been promoted and really gotten over. Like I, I think that. The, and, and to to speak plainly there, not to like half hide my hand, I guess, what I mean is that I think while I agree with everything you're saying, but I also think that like we were saying last time that NXT and the main roster are d- just different genres and especially were a few years ago when these women were, were all in NXT. And there just seems to be that like disconnect that all these people are capable because we saw them doing NXT or just the, the emotional moments are possible. It's like you saw... Owens and Zayn. So like when they do stuff in NXT, it's really emotional and really real. And then when they do it on the main roster, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, there's this disconnect between, between the two shows or the two, the left hand and the right hand of the WWE. And it seems like NXT can create those emotional moments in, in the way that old school wrestlers claim was possible when people quote unquote believed, even though the, NXT fan, you know, is probably less likely to believe, quote unquote, than the main roster fan. So I think there's there's something there's still work to be done as as much as like they're having they're having the best matches, they're doing the most important stuff in the WWE, but I still think there's repairs that need to be made to the damn platform. <laughs> and yeah, I think we've made very plain why this is an essential fear. This is this and the Sasha match or the uh, Sasha Bailey match are the two matches you have to have to watch if you want to really understand wrestling right now. And I think Becky's star was full on like locked in. She is one of the next leaders of this generation in a way that not even Charlotte might get to. And I I think that was really interesting. Do you have anything else people should watch out for during this match that really like that uh, popped out to you? Oh, nothing in particular, just that it was a a really great match. And I love the finish there. I mean, I think that, they both it once again like i said about some of the earlier matches and like their performances in nxt it felt really real to them that they both appreciated that this was a moment where they couldn't just go out there and have a good match that they needed to go out there and even if it meant you know even even if it meant somebody having a harder time sleeping that night because they they'd hurt themselves or whatever you know what i mean they like really went there all out and said like this needs to be done right we need to give everything and then becky just needs to kill charlotte at the end and there was like a hundred percent commitment to that plan in that old school arn anderson telly blanchard way we keep saying and it just it just worked it's 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 it seems that like these these four women just like get wrestling and in scenarios where where the wrestling business is out of their way, they are very good at doing it, even when others seem uh, hell hell bent against uh, against letting them do it the way they know how to. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we could talk about these four all day. I mean, we have basically. Um, we're talking about. We can talk about their historical importance 
in terms of the women's division. And I think we've touched on that, but they're really important because they are the best performers on the show right now. Charlotte is a transcendent, historically great performer and an important person in the history of wrestling already. Becky's getting there. Sasha and Bailey had maybe the best wrestling match in the history of the WWE, WWF platform, like overall, like really, I mean, you're talking about some of the great performers of their generation and and it's just really fun to watch them, have them be the greatest, some of the greatest performers of their generation actually also have them be people who are moving the sport forward. So I I think that this, I love every episode. I think this is probably, these two have probably been my favorite two episodes in terms of just loving to talking about these performers. And I really look forward to doing it going forward for however many years that we have left with them operating at this level. That sounds good, Nick. I'm always down to talk about current wrestling on this show as long as we only focus on women. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly how I feel too. Um, So uh, we don't have a question this week. I think we answered everything we possibly could. Um, was like half of the first episode we dug in deep on the question last time there was like 15 20 minutes of question yeah yeah it's almost like i planned it that way eh? it's almost like it was a good question you rotten bastard. so i uh, so i think we've 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 solved women's wrestling thank god because who who better than two white men in their early 30s to do so uh, aren't you but we explained it to you <laughs> Yeah, especially after the penis joke. That was <laughs> um, I open. I didn't open the show in an aggressively, you know, performatively masculine way at all. We <laughs> feel really comfortable. Uh, so, uh, where can they find you, and perhaps some of your poetry, some of your? <laughs> where can they find you on the internet, Dave? Absolutely, the easiest place and most central place to find me on the internet, at least that I know of, is on Twitter at Dave Writes Junk. That's Dave is in my name, writes is in the thing you do with a pencil, and junk as in the thing you keep in your trunk. Uh, another great way that you can be friends with me is by supporting this show on Patreon. So please, as always, remember to check out patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. It is that holiday giving season. And uh, even if you don't want to make a long-term commitment on Patreon, even if you just want to give us, you know, one or two dollars for the month of December, I mean, that stacks up and, you know, we can uh, we can keep that to the side and pay the, the bills off as we go. It's not like, you know, we, we need the $30 every month. You guys could give us $1,000 this month and then we could chill out on the donations for a couple of months. Either system is good for me. Yeah, yeah. Whatever works for you guys in terms of the $1,000 ending up in our pockets, I don't. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) It's funny because we actually would be just reinvesting in the show. Uh, uh, So, yeah, and you can check me out at the Nixer. That's T H E N 1 C K S D R. You should also be following the H W E T W pod Twitter account because we are in the new year when we start season two with the Arn Anderson episode, which I am currently working. Arn Anderson has just become Arn Anderson. Uh, Marty Lundy has has died tragically and been resurrected like a phoenix uh, as Arn Anderson. No, actually, they explained that it was Ola Anderson having Marty go to uh, Mid South and pretend to be somebody else before becoming an Anderson, which was a fun thing to find out. Uh, as you can tell, I'm watching a lot of Arn Anderson uh, episodes, matches, so that I can be at my best for our Arn Anderson episode, which is the first episode of season two. Uh, and you can check the podcast out in the meantime 
on how wrestling explains that podbean.com. You can also download us rate review and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google play. Um, yeah, I, I'm just excited. I, I, I'm I really emotionally high after this episode, and I'm really excited for what comes next. We have some guests, possibly, or at least one, possibly, uh, for our next couple of episodes, so look forward to that. And uh, Dave, did you have anything to mention on PocketCast this week? i just like to say that George PocketCast has a penis. 15,000 foot